every time the boat took off and went about 30 feet up in the air for about 100 yards. Yeah, all I can hear is Travis just laughing. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Power Motor Yacht Podcast, your birth for the best stories in boating. Each week, my colleagues and I will bring you everything from salty stories to thought-provoking trend discussions, as well as interviews with the most interesting characters to ply the sea. Whether you're listening from the boatyard, your slip, or hopefully well underway, we're glad to have you aboard. Simon Murray here, wheelman of Team Power and Motor Yacht. Uh, with me is Throttleman Charlie Levine. And joining us for a very special episode of the Power Motor Yacht Podcast is Miss Geico Crew Chief Gary Stray. Gary, I know you told us, you know, right before going on that um, you had Sarasota coming up in a couple of days. So thanks so much for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. It, it means a lot. Yeah, no problem. I'm glad to do it and maybe enlighten you on a little bit of the background of what goes on with the machine that is Miss Geico. And I, I mean, it, would I be wrong to say, Gary, that Miss Geico is probably the most successful offshore racing boat in that class one of, of all time? Yeah, um, I, I think so. I think uh, I would say it's the most renowned boat in the world, uh, to be honest, Simon. Um, it, it's it's We only race around the continent of the USA, and a lot of that is due to our sponsor, Geico, selling insurance in, in, within the US. So we stay within these waters, but I'm obviously uh, not from here. I'm from England. And when I travel to Europe, I'll mention, you know, people will ask me, what what do you do for a living? And I say, I work on a powerboat. And they say, which one? And I'd say, Miss Geico. And nobody ever doesn't know the boat. Everybody knows it worldwide. So I think for sure, is it the most successful? Yeah, we've had a lot of success. Um, and, and other people might argue that other boats are more successful, but uh, we have won um, 12 world championships, you know, and, and when we turn up at a race, people know we're there, that we, we're the boat to beat at the race site. So, yeah, I, I think we're a very successful boat, but for sure we're the most renowned boat in the world. And also hard to miss with that unmistakable yellow highlighter color. I mean, you'd have to be. Yeah, I, I, I think that's one of the big reasons. I, I think people love it when when you have, you know, uh, a slew of boats out on the on the back straight away where most of the boats look like a black silhouette. Um, you can always see that bright yellow and um, uh, um, people relate to that. They love the color. And whenever we're at a race, if you look down the beach, it's just a sea of neon yellow uh, shirts where people have been buying the shirts on us all weekend. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's quite impressive. And, yeah, like you say, um, we use a uh, – it's called – the actual color is called chartreuse. Um, it's a color that uh, one of our sponsors, House of Color Paints, um, provides for us. And um, it's a bit of a pain to upkeep, but it really is worth uh, the hassle because it's the, the color just stands out so well. Well, like they say in the fishing world, if it ain't chartreuse, it ain't any use. That's, that's, yeah. a, good, that's a good color to be. And, you know, seeing exactly. it at all the boat shows and it's got such a mean, sexy look to it, being a catamaran mm. with the, you know, the housing where you all sit in there. Can you give us some of the specs, Gary, about the size yeah. and the power and everything? 
Yeah, absolutely. The the boat is a uh, 47 foot catamaran, our number one boat that we're running at the moment. And it was built in Dubai, in the Middle East, in the UAE. Um, and that's a, a company that I used to work for. I was uh, based out in Dubai for eight years and I actually built this boat. And when it became available, um, you know, I said to, to my partners, I'm like, this is the boat we want. This boat's an awesome boat. So So we bought it. Um, and so it was built in Dubai. Um, it's a full carbon fiber structure, um, very, very strong, very, very light. It's got a beam of 13 feet. And at the moment, it's powered by a pair of 1100 horsepower Mercury twin turbocharged engines. The reason for this is we're currently racing in a category called class one that uh, they wanted to bring the power down on the engine so before we were racing in a class called unlimited which basically you could put any size boat any power in a boat and it was basically run what you brought so and and the problem with that was that speeds were going to extremes i mean we were starting races and going down the first straights at about 190 miles an hour. That, that's a problem with safety and with getting insurance for races. So, um, and also it, it became a, a spending match. You know, when, when you're doing all this development to make all this horsepower, the engines don't last as long. So the turnover of the engines are a lot more, you know, resulting in more costs. And um, there was more breakdowns because you're pushing everything a lot more. So. The races weren't so entertaining. It, it was a, an attrition. So what they decided to do two years ago was we all run a spec engine now, which is an 1,100 horsepower um, factory engine from Mercury, and everybody runs it. And the idea was was to bring costs down and also to get the race in a little better and bring more people in. So now we, we've got teams from Australia and Dubai and Norway and stuff like that coming over to race against us. So it has opened stuff up. Now with the with the old engines, with the with the engines we were running before, we were making about two thousand horsepower per site per engine. So we, you know four thousand horsepower, and we would run a little over two hundred miles an hour with that power in the boat on a flat course. Now with the eleven hundreds. It has slowed us down considerably, but still not what you would call slow on water. We're still running about 160 miles an hour on a perfect day. But what it has done, uh, reliability of all the boats in the classes have gone up. Um, when we go across the line, you could almost throw a blanket over every boat. Um, so it makes things a bit more exciting. So what it's done, the, 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 the idea of it going down to 1100 has worked in my opinion it's, it's done a good job um the the boat is crewed by two people we have a throttle man and a driver in the boat it's quite unusual for a motorsport normally you have a driver he controls speed everything else in the boat and he steers the course here there's a lot going on in the cockpit so in the left-hand seat we have steve curtis who is probably one of the most decorated drivers in the sport ever he has won multiple world championships on on multiple continents um and he's was so successful that he's actually 
a MBE, which is a member of the British Empire. Steve's a British national as well. And uh, so he's basically been knighted by the Queen for his services to the sport and his um, and his results. So um, so we have Steve on one side. Steve takes care of the throttle. So Steve's taking care of the trim and the attitude of the boat. And also he's controlling the speed and the throttling the boat. The throttling the boat is what we call when the boat's coming in and out of the water. So when it comes in the water, he wants power on um, to propel the boat forward. And it also keeps the boat in control. When he jumps out of the water, he will back off so the engines don't over-rev, and also it will not disturb the boat when it's in free flight up in the air. So his right hand is basically like a machine. I'd love to, one race, just put a video camera on his hand to see, show people what it does, because unless you've been in the boat and, and ridden with him, it's very, very impressive to watch. Um, it really is. Um, and he seems to be able to smooth out four-foot seas where you think you're going to be in for a bumpy ride. He has this ability to almost feel like it's a flat race, you know. So we have Steve on the left side of the boat. He does that. And then on the other side, we have a shared driver between Travis Pastrana and Britt Lilly. Britt Lilly is a young guy um, that has been racing the bottoms, uh, for, for a very long time, very experienced. Um, his father was a racer, and he started doing it himself. And Britt's a great guy. And with Miss Geico, one of the things we wanted to do was bring young people, um, bring them on into the sport. And I think every uh, kind of guy that's in the sport that runs a lesser boat would cut their left arm off to be able to drive Miss Geico one-handed, you know. So with um, with Britt, we've given him that chance, and I, I particularly really like that 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 we're we, you know, that Geico's given these young people the opportunity to excel in something that they're already good at in the top of the line boat that's out there running. And then our other driver is Travis Pastrana, um, pretty well known guy. Um, yeah, I'd he, say. he's. A, He's an absolute nut. Um, (laughs) It's kind of funny. Travis is like two people in one. He he is bubbly, bouncy, bouncing off the walls out of the boat. But when he gets in the boat and I hear him on the intercom when we start talking back and forth, it's almost like I'm talking to a different person. And he can switch his head on and just totally be business and he is one of the most serious people i've ever heard in the boat but by far the most competitive person i've ever been around interesting yeah i had a chance to interview travis when you guys first started working together it seemed like an odd marriage to me you know on paper but after talking to him and he sounded I, I get what you're saying. Like he's got high energy and, but he is very intelligent and it was a Absolutely. really fun conversation and to hear his take. I mean, you gotta be nuts to do the stuff that he does flying over yeah. school buses yeah. on a motorcycle and, you know, all yeah. these car stunts, but um, it sounds like it's working out, right? He's doing an all yeah, right job. I, 
I, I, he's doing a fantastic job, and and it's quite funny with Travis. Um, you can so tell his background when he's in the boat. So when we go out and we're running in fairly flat water, which is very much uh, what I would call a driver's course, he is full on and trying to get every second off of every lap that he's doing. And each corner, um, he might go in and take a slightly different line. And then the next lap, he'll come around and he'll be like, Steve, take me in deeper here. And I think I can get another second off the lap. And, and so he's always, he's really intense on these flat courses. And he does an absolutely fantastic job. And it's almost like he's racing against himself every lap. Where we went to Cocoa Beach this year and we tested on Saturday. And the seas were probably about five to six feet. Okay, so now the, the, the tide changes and the throttle man now is probably the more important one in the boat. So now the throttle man is trying to keep this boat level, straight, not stuff into the next wave, not over-rip the engines, that I, as I explained to you. And so Travis is just kind of steering a course and trying to find Steve the, the smoothest way around the race course. And all I heard on the radio when they were out in these six-foot seas was every time the boat took off and went about 30 feet up in the air for about 100 yards. Yeah, all I can hear is Travis just laughing. So he's just (laughs) absolutely rolling with laughter. And I can – so I – can't see the boat i have telemetry and i'm watching the gauges and i can hear what's going on in the cockpit we have a three-way radio on telecommunications that i can talk to steve and travis and i mute myself out and i listen to them too and all i can hear is travis almost peeing himself laughing because they just launched this frigging boat 30 feet up in the air um, and it's just so funny to see the two different sides of it in two different seas. So I think the big seas kind of get his adrenaline going a little more. You know? He just sounds wow. like he's built different. I mean, to really just, it's like almost unnerving, I got to say, like to be laughing. And that's probably a good reaction if you're going 30 feet in the air to to well, take it with joy instead of, you know, paralyzing fear yeah. when you're out there. I, I, I think that is why he's so successful in what he does is that those that I don't want to say he's fearless, but I think he's so relaxed in those situations that he can make good decisions. If you're scared and you are frightened when the boat goes 30 feet in the air, you're going to stiffen up and maybe do something and react in the wrong way. Whereas he's that relaxed. He knows that when he lands, he can move the boat one way or the other or, or react to what's going on. I think that's what makes him set apart from an average human being. Um, there's not wow. many people that you would get in that boat and they would laugh in that situation. And, and we've had some you know, I've been around some very um, experienced drivers in all sorts of sorts, and you take them for a ride and that, they come back, and they're shaken up a little bit, and they'll be like, you know, that was fun, but I'm not sure if I want to do it again. Sure. Whereas Travis is like, hey, 
let's get back out there, let's change pots and go again. That was awesome, you know. And, and so he is different, but he, the, the very, very good thing about Travis as well, despite of all the things he's done that you or I or the average human being wouldn't do, he still is a very, very humble human being. And he comes into our team as a humble person that's willing to learn. And he sits and listens to every bit of instruction from every person, whether it's about safety, whether it's about driving the boat, whether it's about autograph sessions. He is absolutely um, humble in every area. And I don't think I've seen someone that famous that has that much time for anybody else in the world. I, I've seen him try and eat a salad in in our hauler. We, we have like a kitchen in the hauler and Louise does all the food for all the guys on the team. And he'll be sat in there eating a salad and he gets interrupted six times to go outside and have a photograph taken with someone and sign an autograph and then he comes in two more mouthfuls and then he's out the door again and I've never ever seen him turn someone away that wants to talk to him gather something signed or a picture taken with him and he's just a good human being that's nice to hear that's really great and I know you guys have a big race coming up this weekend in Sarasota Florida and was it the last Sarasota event, Gary, where the boat rolled and right in yeah. there at the finish? I know it happened in Sarasota, but with COVID and all the schedule changes, yeah. I couldn't. So yeah. how did you guys address that situation after that bad accident? And um, yeah. how do you feel going into this year? So, um, yeah, one, one great finish to that race. Um, we were vying for the lead. Um, we were a couple of boat lengths behind the boat from Dubai. Um, went into the second to last corner. There was a little bit of a hole there. The guys went to put their nose in there. They got chopped off, had to turn the boat pretty hard, and we barrel rolled the boat, went over. Um, pretty hard hit. Um, the guys, when I looked at the data that I downloaded from the boat, they went into the corner, started to turn in at about 124, um, and it snap rolled at about 105, and they hit the water at about 75 miles an hour which is the water's like concrete at that point. Yes, it is. So um, the deck of the boat exploded apart. Um, uh, Luckily, the safety cell stayed intact. The guys got out with minor little scratch on Steve's leg, and they got out, and that's the most important thing. You know, the boat can repair and move on. Obviously, the guys, it's, it's important that they get out. Um, the boat was upside uh, down in the water. Yes, it was. Down. Yes, it was. So the guys have oxygen in the boat um, that they can turn on, they can grab and turn on um, when they're upside down. But uh, they didn't even need to do that. They got out the boat, um, and there, when the boat's upside down, we have two escape hatches. There's one above their head, and then there's one down by their feet. When the boats crash, ultimately they they. 99% of the time, they're wrong way up. So what the guys tend to do is they roll, undo themselves and the belts roll around and they actually come out through the escape hatches down by their feet. Um, and that's what Steve and the guy did when, when they got out. So they, they survived it. We ended up with a pretty broken boat. 
So we brought the boat back. We rented a boat off of another team and finished our season. And then we took a year process to cut the whole deck off of the boat. We built our own mold to build a new deck. We built a new carbon fiber deck, but we made some aerodynamic changes to the boat and some structural changes to make it a little stronger. Um, and we also managed to take about 200 pounds in weight out um, just by using newer, fresher materials in the boat. Um, and that's always a good thing when you take weight away from the upper side of the boat being the deck because it gives you better handling. Um, you want your weight down low to give you handling. So we managed to do that, put the deck on. We've got the boat all back together and we picked up uh, about four or five miles an hour um, with the changes we made and the boat handles real well. So we're really happy with going into this weekend in Sarasota um, almost with a new machine. Um, and the boat just just handles fabulously, really does. And, and you make it sound like, oh, well, we just did this and that. But to make yeah. those changes required an immense amount of tooling and technology and, and carbon yeah. fiber and these other crazy materials. Yeah. Um, it took a full year, you said? Yeah, it was a full year. We had to cut the deck off the boat repair frames, bulkheads and frames that are inside the boat. And these frames in this boat are very unusual. Most boats have bulkheads that are in and they're glassed in the boat, meaning that you use a Kevlar carbon fiber or EOS glass to tap the things in. This boat, it sounds weird, but the, the bulkheads are made in molds and they have a flange on them and they're actually glued in and glued in only. And the deck is actually only glued to the hull. But these glues are so strong and have a massive elongation, meaning that they can be stretched without breaking. Um, we, can, we can build stuff like that. So this boat's probably the most advanced composite boat out there at this time, um, anywhere in the world, probably. It's, it's, it's on a level with the America's Cups boats and stuff like that, which are wow. super advanced. Um, and we did this all in-house, which really is a, you know, hats off to all the guys that, that work here. I mean, we have a first-class team of technicians from all over the world. Um, we have two Italian guys on the team, British people. We have, obviously, Americans some island people, we have um, a couple of Mexican guys. So we have this mix of nationalities and everybody brings some amazing stuff to the table. And with this crew, we, we managed to do that. And it was a lot of late hours, um, a lot of um, early mornings. And But uh, we just have, uh, I, I, you know, I think I'm very biased, but I think we, we hear of one of the best offshore race team crews ever assembled. Um, and being able to achieve something like that is is pretty impressive. When it, Whenever any of the other teams break a boat or they crash a boat, the first thing they do is they hand their boat back over to the manufacturer that, that manufactured the boat, and then they get it back and put the mechanical stuff back in the boat. That's where we're very unique and it sets us apart and I think gives us a bit of an upper hand 
on the race course is that we can do everything in-house and build stuff how we want it to be um, the, the, the ultimate machine on the race course. Gary, speaking of speaking of like the, the team that you guys have assembled, and I know you touched on a little bit earlier about uh, just kind of how you know the, the sport has changed over the years, and I know you've been in the industry and also a part of the sport for a while. It seems like there's less teams now in Class 1, and obviously they brought the, the speeds down out of a degree of safety because that's important, obviously. Where do you see the sport going? Do you see more people at the events, kind of fans taking part? And obviously these younger guys, Pastrana and, and Britt, are, uh, you know, helping probably get younger people into it. But are you seeing, like, a, a change? Yeah, so so when we went to the 1100 engine, I think it was a good thing. Like I said, um, we got – it turned into a proper World Series where we have people from all over the world coming in and racing. Unfortunately, due to the COVID, that's put an abrupt stop to that. But um, hopefully we can get the COVID thing behind us um, and these teams will come back. We're currently talking to two other US teams that are looking to um, buy boats and do um, the 1100 class. Um, And there's a couple that are in the 750 class that have asked a lot of questions about buying the 1100 engines, putting them and moving up to 1100 class. The, the thing is, um, we need to get those boats back from overseas. It makes it very exciting. I think it makes it a good spectacle um, with, with all these countries being involved. And um, I think we can move on from, from there. But the, the COVID thing has definitely paid its toll on the sport just like it has uh, worldwide with, with, with any other sport. Everybody struggled um, with this situation. And it was a shame because we were on a really good roll um, when that came about. And we were talking to Abu Dhabi. We were looking at bringing two boats over. Um, we had a Swedish guy looking to bring a, a team over. So it, it was really expanding and, and expanding quickly. Um, now it's almost like you've hit the pause button. This is going to open up and then we have to start again, which is going to be tough. But I, I think with the standardized engines, it's going to make it more affordable and people are going to be able to come in. The numbers of boats throughout the classes, you know, there I'm just talking about class one, but the numbers of the boats, the smaller boats and all that, it's been fantastic, and in Cocoa Beach, I think we had the biggest biggest gathering boats we've had there for like five or six years. Wow! So, and I think that's down to everybody being stuck in their home, not being able to go out boating and be on their their boat or racing their boat, and people are like, yeah, "I need to get out again and get going again." And so, you know, I, I think that's that's kind of help that a little bit and in Cocoa Beach um, that the beach beaches were were packed with people and I think that's one thing that the powerboat sport has got as a little bit of an advantage with the, with the COVID thing is you're not packing people in a stadium where they're sat shoulder to shoulder you have a two miles of beach where you can put a hundred thousand people and still have you know 10 feet apart from everybody, it's not a problem. 
Um, so I, I think that's one of the advantages that, that we do have. And I think getting the likes of Travis involved, and Travis has a lot of you know high-profile friends that are saying, hey, Travis, that looks pretty cool what you're doing there. Um, and they, they're wanting to start to get involved a little bit. And then that brings with it the sponsors that come with them. So, you know, I, I'm I'm hoping I love the sport. I want it to succeed. And, and, I, and I always look on the positive side and just hope that this thing does go where we all perceive it to go. And, and we can put on a great show for the spectators because there's nothing quite like seeing a boat that's 50 foot long, neon yellow, going 160 miles an hour across the water. It's quite <laughs> impressive. Sure. And 30 feet in the air. <laughs> yeah, and 30 feet in the air. Can't time. forget yeah, that. that. Yeah, yeah. Very I, cool. I know that we touched on the, the crash, obviously, and, and uh, how mm. vital you and the team are in rebuilding the boat. But also the other side of it, too, you follow the telemetry and keep an eye on the mm. mechanicals during the race. Similar to like F1 racing, right? Like the guy is off on the side, Correct. like the principal and the other mechanics. But yeah. But the, the added difficulty for you is that you're in a chase boat at the same time, right? Yeah, so some of the races, like this weekend, is in Sarasota, um, as we've said. And I, I can't be anywhere but out in the water is the only way I can get close to the boat. Um, so basically this weekend, I'll be on a chase boat. Um, we will be uh, still, um, but sat in the middle of the race course. And on the boat, it will have all the antennas for the um, for the telemetry, and I, I'll have my computer set up on the boat so that I can monitor everything. And normally, during a race, we have about 250 uh, components of the boat that we can monitor at any given time. Now, obviously, I can't look at 250 gauges at once, so I look at the most important things, and then I'll have a running graph going along um, and the reason that I do that is if I see all the lines all straight and all together, I know that we're good. As soon as I see one of those lines drop or raise, then I can start looking at that thing a little more intently and see what, what the issue is. But yeah, I'd be out on a chase boat. Um, the communications between the race boat and the uh, support boat is telecommunications. So basically, we will have five satellite looking antennas in the boat that are might one might be from AT&T one from BT and all these different uh, servers and all the time the boat is looking for the ultimate signal that it can get and pass on to the support boat so there are race boats always scanning so on the back straight it might be one server, and on the front straightaway of the course, it may be another server. So that's how we stay in communication the whole time. It's quite a smart system. And I can look at the data, and although that server's picking a different system, I see everything seamlessly. So basically, what I could do in, in round terms, I could sit on my couch on the other coast of Florida on Sunday afternoon, with all my computers set up in my lounge at home and still get all the data and communicate verbally with Steve and Travis and still sat on my couch at home. Now, they won't let me do that, unfortunately, <laughs> but uh, that, that could happen. 
so um so yeah so that's a kind of a rundown of, of how that that works that's insane the just the technology that allows you to do that and then also having all the that electronics in the salt and on a boat is just like yeah. i think it would give you give somebody else maybe a, a lot of stress but it sounds like you guys have that figured out yeah i mean the, the thing you got to remember that that's a, that's a good point you know that that this this stuff's all in sealed boxes it's all set up on the front of the boat you know we, we measure g-forces and stuff and in the boat um in your and stuff like that and um you know it, it's nothing to see six to eight g 12 g impacts on this uh, on not only the drivers but the equipment as well so we have to take that into consideration and some of the more delicate electronic stuff is mounted on on uh, almost like rubber suspension uh, systems and stuff like that and and also the drivers um, their seats are on suspension so we we've had in the past um, some situations where we've hit so hard that uh, drivers and throttlemans have broken vertebrae and had some organ damage from the impacts. So what we decided to do was we actually built suspension into each driver's seat, and it's built according to each driver's weight and how they like the seat to react um, in the sea. It, at the moment, it's actually set up mechanically, so we have to go and mechanically put a different spring on the shock or something like that. I'm working with a company now where we're actually looking to do an active suspension. So on the fly, the driver could actually adjust the rebound, the softness, the ride height, and everything of his seat as he's going along at 160 miles an hour. For maybe the unscientifically minded people out there, like maybe myself, what would you compare yeah. those G's to? Like the you said six or seven. I mean, is that like a? Yeah. So so um, really, um, like a, a a Formula One car going around a corner is probably three to four G. Wow. Um, an F sixteen fighter plane um, going into a turn will pull about nine G. So the way it works, G. Um, so when you're standing on Earth. And you're or you're sat now talking to me. You have what we call one g, one times gravity on your body, okay? That makes you weigh 150 or 200 pounds. Okay, so let's say you weigh 100 pounds, and when you're pulling 10 g, now your body is weighing a thousand pounds. Gotcha. So it's your body weight times that given number. That is the amount of G. So if Steve is weighing 200 pounds and he's getting 4G, his body, his spine and everything is feeling about 800 pounds on his spine every time he hits Wow! in the water. That, that can't be good. No. So, no. so That's got to hurt. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and most of these guys that have been racing for many years walk crooked. It's like I, I laugh at Travis. He walks around and you're like, how does he get on and put his leg over a motorcycle? Sometimes he gets up after sitting down for a little while and he walks off. He looks like an 80-year-old man wandering off, you know? Wow. And, and Steve, Steve's the same. Steve looks like he's just got off of a horse um, as he's walking along. So these guys have had a hell of a pounding in these things. 
and we just wanted to obviously for their safety keep keep them keep them safe keep their body safe but what we also found as well is the boat can take a lot more than the human body can so if we can protect that human body and we can make those humans inside the boat feel more comfortable and they're not feeling those hard hits and those impacts they're going to push the boat harder so that that gives you an, a, a a bit bit more of a an advantage on the race course um so that's mainly why do it everything we do safety is is ultimate we have to keep these guys safe but if secondly it's can we make this thing go faster can we make this thing go over waves more comfortable can we get it to accelerate better coming out of a corner so we're always looking for those little edges um, and that was quite a big leap getting the drivers to be comfortable in these boats so now they can push them and the boat can be pushed to its limit a little more well thanks for thanks for explaining that because i think that really illustrates what these guys put themselves through to compete and uh you know it's like we look at maybe the Olympics or athletes like that where they're doing track or field and you kind of see the exertion, but with these sports, you, you don't see the people as much. They're inside of these gigantic vessels. So it really helps explain to people maybe that aren't tuned into uh, offshore racing, just how amazing some of these feats are that they're able to, you know, to go at yeah. 170 miles an hour. Yeah, for sure. I mean, these guys love what they do. They're they're intense about what they do, and and like I said to you previously, you know about Travis and they're jumping these waves and all that. Most people would do it once and they would go, you know what? It was fun. I got out of it alive. Um, I'm going to go home and I'm done. But these guys come back time after time after time, and it's like Steve. Um, He's been. He won his first world championship when it, when he was 21 years old. Um, he's now 57, and every time he gets in a boat, I see an excitement about him, almost like it's the first time he's getting in a boat. And um, he has a passion for it and an understanding for it, like no other person I've seen. Um, so it it does take someone a bit special and maybe a little screw loose up top to do this <laughs> time after time. Sure. I, I saw, it reminds me of a video I saw of uh, Travis and Britt going out on, I think it's Britt's 24 foot skater. Oh yeah. And yeah. you know, it, I think that was probably a couple of years ago where Travis was just getting into the sport and that was a good yeah. way to practice with that. But it's, it, it highlights two things to me. It's like, one, it's got to be good to have a friend that's got a 24-foot skater that lets you just yep. cruise that around. But two, to, to get in it, and then I think he brought his, his, his kids with him, uh, and yep. to just really get a sense of like, yeah, I want to do this. Like, and let's get even yep. faster. Like 100 miles an hour, that's not fast enough. I want 170. It's like he really yeah. is. He's a daredevil, and he's, he's a different kind of uh, person. Absolutely. It's funny you say that because – you know, like I said to you, I'm listening to Stephen Travis's conversation, and I, I really talked to him during a race for um, lap times or um, laps counted down, or if there's an engine issue or stuff like that. So I, I kind of keep myself muted a little bit so that they can concentrate on racing the boat, and I take care of looking after the mechanical thing. 
and it, it does make me smile because I'm sat there and they'll go here and into a corner and they'll come out the corner and every time without fail Travis will say Steve I think we can take that a little quicker I think we can go a little quicker into that corner every single turn <laughs> he says the same thing so um, it's funny that you say that about the 24 hour hundreds you know that's that I need faster I need faster and he's got this hunger just to do better, be faster, and you can see why he is the guy he is and what he's done and where he is today. Um, being around him a short amount of time, relatively, I, I've been around him. Um, you, you can see that. Well, best of luck to, to you guys. I mean, I, I think probably Travis, from everything that we've said, probably has a little bit of pressure if he even feels that doesn't sound like he does but he's probably got a little pressure to bring more people into the sport I'm sure you know the more he wins the more people will be interested Um, but I think no matter how it goes I'm sure you know younger people are are probably looking more to it but yeah I mean you guys have a pretty packed schedule um, so we'll definitely be following along and uh, you know best of luck to you guys and um, yeah it's it's definitely exciting thank you thank you thank you so much for your time it's been a it's been a great speaking with you and learning about Miss Geico and everything you do there. And good luck this weekend. We'll be rooting for you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time, guys. Thanks, Gary. Thank you for listening to the Power Motor Yacht Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor and leave us a review or rating. Or you share us with your friends on social media or on the VHF. Anywhere you spread the word means a lot to us. Thanks again, and until next time. We'll see you on the water.